Hello everyone, this is Crystal from the Spooky Barber Babes. If you are new here, hi, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back. If you are new here and you do not know, my name is Crystal. I am the main host and I talk about true crime, conspiracy theories of all sorts. Seems like everyone has a favorite cartoon conspiracy. And um, sometimes I talk about ghost stuff as well. I say um a lot, <laughs> but for the most part, I talk about true crime. Today's episode comes out of Japan back in 1985, and this is about the vending machine killer, also known as the Parakeet Murders, which were random acts of poisoning in Japan, mostly in the Western Japan region, and it happened between April 30th to November 17th, 1985. All victims were random. With a total of 47 victims, 12 had sadly been killed, and their other 35 were poisoned. The poison in question? Paraket. Now, Paraket, I want to kind of get this out there just in case you're not um, familiar. Paraket is an herbicide. It's a salt that is most widely used in herbicides. It is quick acting and non-selective and it mainly killing green plant tissue on contact. It is considered toxic to humans and animals, also in the possibility of being lethal. It has been banned in several countries due to the fact that it has been linked to Parkinson's disease. It is highly water soluble with a faint ammonia-like smell. Now, when I say highly water soluble, it means you won't be able to see it in um, a drink. It, unless you sniff your drink before you drink it, you probably won't realize you've ingested any of it until it's too late. Now, it is considered a category two if it is ingested orally and it's considered mildly toxic as a category three when it comes in contact with the skin. The mortality rate for paraket poisoning is 16 to 90% when when ingested or on the skin. Now there is only one other instance with one bottle out of all the um, poisonings that was with, I think it's called, pronounced Dicot, Di Dicot? I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Somebody in the comments is going to tell me if I am, but that is 71.8% soluble in water with no smell described. It is considered moderately toxic and harmful to humans if swallowed, inhaled, or absorbed through skin in large quantity. Now, I did find out that um, that is not banned. It is still, it, it can, I guess there's treatment. There is a first aid that like, so if you do ingest it, um, the packaging actually comes with like a first aid for like, hey, if you ingest this, this is what you should do. But there was only one bottle that had that in it out of the 47 um, victims. Only one got the Diquat. Everyone else got Paracot. Um, but the very first victim, and the only one I could really find any information on, was a 52-year-old Haru Otsu. And 
on April 30th, 1985 in Fukuyama, Hiroshima. He was on his way to go fishing and he had stopped at a random vending machine on his way and purchased two bottles of a popular drink at the time called Oronami or Oronamin C from that vending machine. And after he drank all of bottle one and got halfway through the second bottle, he began to feel sick and was taken to a hospital in Todaboyashi, where he had died the next evening. Now, again, the poisonings mainly happened in Western Japan with Oronamen C as the main contaminated beverage. At the time of this poisoning and um, all of you know that, uh, Oronamen's company was running a buy one, get one promotion that the killer had took advantage of by placing the contaminated bottles either inside where you go to reach your hand in and grab a bottle out or on top of the machine to make customers believe that, you know, somebody had received a second bottle and just kind of stuck it up there as like a free, if you want to take it. Um, the poisonings did stop, however, after warnings were posted on the machines and the companies um, that put their drinks in the beverage, in the um, vending machines made uh comments about it and made statements now as of 2023 the murderer was never caught um but there was an imitation in tokyo where some unknown person used lime sulfur in place of paraquet in the drinks to try to poison others um again that person was never caught either um also who knows if it was even the same person probably just trying something different um there were also, however, a small number of people who attempted to poison themselves in the same manner by using paraquet in place of, um, you know, just the, a poisoning for them. So a little history. In 1985, the Otsuka Pharmaceutical Company had seen a decline in sales of its health drink known as Oronamin C. So... That is where they decided to launch the campaign that when you buy a drink from the vending machine, a free bottle of Oronamin C just rolls out too. Many of those free bottles would remain in the slots or on top of the vending machines because, you know, it was typical for Japanese culture to leave unwanted drinks behind for someone else to enjoy. So people never thought much of it when they saw, you know, the drinks on top of the vending machines. You know, they're like, oh, somebody left it. Now... There's also a thing that I had seen that there was a, another man who had purchased a drink from the vending machine in the city and he had spotted a bottle of Oranaman C on top of the vending machine and he took it. He was a 45-year-old truck driver from Fukuyama, Hiroshima. He was also... Um, this happened to him on April 30th in 1985 as well. He fell in, fell very ill and was showing symptoms of severe poisoning and internal chemical burns. However, the medical staff couldn't do anything other than confirm what was the exact poison that was killing him. Tests had shown that it was paraquet, a chemical used again against weeds, and it is banned in over 30 countries due to its adverse effects. Now, 
the truck driver died on May 30th, 1985. So it took him one month to die because he had only had one bottle of the drink. Now, again, police investigations kind of led nowhere because there was nothing for them to find. Then again, it happened again in September of 1985. Another, a 52-year-old man from Osaka drank the free beverage from the vending machine on September 11th and died just three days later. A 22-year-old college student in Mai took a free bottle and drank it at home. He died two days later. By the end of September, three more people were poisoned and died in Fukiu, Fuki, I totally probably pronounced that wrong, Miyazaka and Osaka. Four more people died in October and two in November. All took free bottles either from on top of the vending machine, but most out of the dispensing, um, the dispensing slots. Now, a 17-year-old girl from Saitama died on November 24th, and she was the last victim. Again, it's kind of started really quick and ended just as quickly. Um, and at the time, there was no cameras, so there was nothing that they could go back and roll footage on, and there was no DNA either. And the biggest thing that's baffled police is there was no murder, like no motive for murder. Excuse me. But it didn't, like, they didn't understand why um, these murders were happening. There were no connections between them. They were all in different locations, completely random. The, the victims had no connection whatsoever. Um, they kind of saw it as a twisted version of Russian roulette, except, you know, the victims didn't know, you know, like they didn't know that they were playing a horrible game of chance. Now, again, this case is well over what? I say 40 years at this point, coming up on 40 years and there's no statute of limitation, you know, the statute of limitation has passed. So there's really no chance in finding justice for those people that were killed. And it's just like, why, why did people have to die? You know, I think I said 40 years. I think I might be wrong. 85. No. Yeah. Almost 40 years. Dang. That really hits different when you say that out loud that it's been that long, but the, um, Oro Namen drink has actually been celebrating, uh, it got launched in February of 1965. And I mean, I, as far as I know, it's, it's still being sold. Um, it's just celebrated its 50, 50th anniversary in 2015, because again, it wasn't the pharmaceutical companies, um, like it wasn't their fault that somebody had gotten into their stuff, but sadly, the name is now synonymous with the, uh, the vending machine killer, just because someone decided to take a, um, a promotion and use it as a method to kill people and stay unknown. Um, one thing that I did see when I was doing my research for this was the, um, I keep saying, um, so sorry. 
<laughs> but one thing I had seen when I was doing the research of this was that there was a doctor that had, it was from Japan who had said that it's actually, it was, it wasn't seen as unusual for somebody who's possibly had like had a high stress job or was going through a lot to lash out on others. And that this could have been somebody that was just stressed. Um, my thought is it could have just been a social experiment, you know, a trusting society, but I have a feeling that they don't do that anymore. You know, you see a random drink out. And I mean, even myself, like if I see a random like drink in, sitting in at a vending machine, I don't, I don't drink it. I don't trust it. The other thing is, I don't know about safety precautions or how those bottles were made, but we're taught, at least here in America, I don't know about anywhere else, but we're taught that if the, um, like if it's a bottle of soda, if you crack the top and you don't hear that satisfying crack when you're opening the, when you're breaking the seal that you know you, you're not to trust it or if it's like a snapple bottle if you can't if the um the top is popped already like the little center point is up you don't drink it because it means it could have been tampered with um but so this also reminds me of i think it was the tylenol case i think it was the tylenol i think it was tylenol now my brain's like yeah it was Yes. Aha. It was the, t yes. Ha ha. I was right. So that <laughs> was a, um, somebody committed, um, gotta keep saying, um, uh, sorry. Anyways, there was evidence that somebody had tampered with Tylenol and actually replaced it with, um, oh God trying to remember what it was replaced with i know it was a poison i just can't remember what oh this actually was the tylenol murders happened before this about by three years so now i'm wondering if it was actually a copycat of that instead and if you're unfamiliar with the tylenol murders i'll get into that later but um just a quick synopsis. It was the fall of 1982 and eight bottles of Tylenol in the Chicago area were found to be tainted with potassium cyanide. That is what it was. Yes. I, I looked it up to make sure that I was right because I had forgotten, but, um, but yeah, so <laughs> I'll probably do another episode on that later on because I have a long list of episodes that I am just continuously adding to, but, um, but yeah, so I feel like now looking at the, that the Tylenol murders happened first, I have a feeling that this might've just been like, let's see if we can do it here too. Or who knows, maybe it was some sick game that nobody knew about. Either way, I, I don't know. I guess things have gotten a lot better where there's more safety precautions in place for telling if something's been tampered with. Just, uh, yeah, just be mindful. Don't drink anything that you yourself haven't bought or, you know, especially from like a store, vending machines, check that stuff. You never know what sick creep might've put out, went out and done something like that. But 
anyways, that is all for me. Enjoy this nice little quick snippet episode. Um, and yeah, stay safe and stay spooky, everybody. Bye.